I want you to listen with me to a story about the stunningly generous love of God. To catch you up, God has brought his people out of their enslavement in Egypt. He's given them a land, and they asked for a king. He gave them David. And now this people that God loves, they're fighting the nations around them, and David is their leader. Everyone's out to battle, and David stays home, and he gets distracted. If you've read the story of David and Bathsheba before, you know what kind of distracted. And follows the self-centered inclinations of his tired, wayward, and selfish heart. So he takes another man's wife. That man was named Uriah. He takes his wife. Her name was Bathsheba as his own, and she gets pregnant. And he places Uriah in the midst of the most violent fighting so that he would be sure to die. And he takes Bathsheba as his wife. And this is what happens next. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. Now, the rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except for one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He brought it up, and it grew up with him and his children, and it sat at his table and ate of his meager fare, and it drank from his cup, and it lay in his bosom, It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and the rich man was loath to take one of his own flocks and herds to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. So he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the guest who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. As sure as the Lord lives, this man deserves to die, and he shall pay back fourfold the lamb because he has done this and because he has shown no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom. And I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have done as much more. Why, therefore, do you despise me and do evil in my sight? For you have killed by the sword Uriah the Hittite and taken his wife to be your own, and you have killed him by the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. For you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Thus says the Lord, I will raise up trouble against you from within your own house, for I will take Before your eyes, your wives, and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lay with them in broad daylight. For you did this thing in secret, but I will do it before all Israel in broad daylight. David said to Nathan, 
I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, Now the Lord has put away your sin, and you shall not die. Nevertheless, because you utterly scorned the Lord because of this deed, the child born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 15. Here's the direction we'll go, and then we'll come to the table. First, a word about sin. Then some help from the Psalms. And lastly, a moment of honesty. First, a word about sin. Look with me at the last verse of 2 Samuel 11. It's how we started our passage together. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. I don't know what comes to mind for you when you think about sin. Oftentimes when we think about sin, we think about morality. Doing right or doing wrong. Getting it right or messing it up. Doing good things, doing bad things. But a Christian theology of sin is much different and much deeper than morality. Listen to this from Eugene Peterson. Sin isn't essentially a moral term designating items of wrongdoing. It's a spiritual term designating our God avoidance and our God pretensions our God avoidance and our God pretensions, or in other words, pretending to be God. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. It's not just that David took another man's wife, violated Bathsheba, and murdered someone. Yes, that's what happens, and yes, that's awful, but it's all fruit of his God avoidance and God pretensions. Or in other words, avoiding God and thinking of himself as God. Who is this God that David is avoiding? It's the God who says, I anointed you king of Israel. I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I've given you this house and showered abundant blessings on you. And if that had been too little, I would have added much more. In other words, God has stopped at nothing to be exceedingly generous to David. And what was David's response? To despise the Lord and do what was evil in his sight. God avoidance. Ignoring the faithful history of God in his life. Ignoring the witness of who God had been to him all along. Blinders on God avoidance. And then his God pretension, or pretending to be God. Here we find David enslaved to his own God-like self-concept, believing that the world was his to consume, that another's body was his to exploit for his own pleasure, and that another's life was his to take in exchange for his own reputation and power. He was loath to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer, so he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guests who had come to him. 
God avoidance and God pretensions, in the midst of a life soaked with the mercy and generosity of God, in this moment, David took a different way. Greed, selfishness, power, God avoidance and God pretension. Does this sound familiar? Can, can we be honest and hear Nathan's preaching to David as a word to us? Because it's true. You are the man. What are our God avoidances and our God pretensions? The wandering eye moment when the temptation is just too strong, but you know in your gut it's not okay. God avoidance. When God and God's words slide to the periphery and me and my desires take center stage, God avoidance. When your agenda and your plans and your success and your wealth become the driving narrative of every moment and compassion and generosity fall to the wayside. God pretension. When it all feels too hard and you begin to take, take, Take and curve inward, God pretension. When worship becomes nothing other than propping up my own feelings and my own desires, God pretension. You are the man. Listen to this again from Peterson. We're sinners. The precise details of our sin may not correspond to David's, but the presence and recurrence of sin does. The moment we recognize our common sin bond with David, we're ready for the real surprise here. The gospel story that develops out of the sin story. So here's my question for us. Can we be honest enough with ourselves this morning to recognize our common sin bond with David? You are the man. You're the one. I'm the one. It's a way of being honest before God, but it's also a way of opening our hearts up to the stunningly generous love of God that's revealed to us in this passage. Sin doesn't have to have the final word, and it won't, but we have to at least name reality. First, a word about sin. Second, some help from the Psalms. You might know that Psalm 51 is the psalm that David wrote as he grappled with sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, etc., etc. And there's loads of wisdom and vulnerability in that prayer. I encourage you to find it later this week if you'd like. But I want to take us in a different direction. Because this week I was at a gathering of folks and we were praying together the daily office and the psalm for the day was Psalm 103. And as we prayed and as I spoke these words aloud, I couldn't stop thinking about David and Bathsheba. Listen to this. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. Bathsheba, the oppressed one, the little ewe lamb, finds justice. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. David, the accused one, 
David quick to anger, God slow to anger. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. David, given absolute forgiveness. Now the Lord has put your sin away, you shall not die. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. David's sins removed, or in the language of Nathan, put away. And as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Think of Bathsheba, the little lamb, so tenderly cherished and beloved by a shepherd, father, God, who would do anything for her. Here's what's happening in this psalm. In the same breath, justice for the oppressed, verse 6, and forgiveness for the oppressor, verse 10. In the same breath, God's tender love for his daughter who was objectified, coerced, and violated. And true forgiveness for David, whose greed and pain led him to objectify, coerce, and violate. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. Psalm 103 exposes the stunningly generous love of God for both David and Bathsheba in a way that almost feels too good to be true for David and not enough for Bathsheba. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. First, a word about sin. Second, some help from the Psalms. And third, a moment of honesty. Can I be honest for a moment? This story of David and Bathsheba leaves my heart aching. It leaves my heart aching for a couple reasons. Just as David's anger was greatly kindled against the man in the story, I find my anger kindled against David. The man who has done this deserves to die. I'm holding in my heart the stories of women, friends, of how they've been violated and taken advantage of. And I'm thinking of that little lamb, seized and exploited in a selfish moment, and I'm thinking of Bathsheba. I wonder what her personality was like. I wonder what her hopes and dreams and longings were. I wonder what this all felt like for her. The story of David and Bathsheba leaves my heart aching, aching for a better king. And I think God's heart aches too, and perhaps that's the whole point. It's the aching heart of God who sends us Jesus. For God so loved the world. Listen to this from Karl Barth. This is undoubtedly the mystery of the divine mercy. God acted in this way because he grieved over his people, because he did not will to abandon them and abandon the world in its unreconciled state. And therefore, on the way which leads to destruction, 
because he willed to show it an unmerited faithfulness as the creator, because in his own inconceivable way, he loved it. In his own inconceivable way, he loved it with unmerited faithfulness. The stunningly generous love of God is the final word in our aching hearts. And the love of God is stronger than the pain you've experienced. And God has not abandoned you in your unreconciled state. And the love of God is stronger than the sin and shame that you carry. And although it's inconceivable and unimaginable and quite stunning, God's love in Jesus Christ rips us off our God-abandoning path toward destruction and sets us on the path toward life. This is a God who shows an unmerited faithfulness in all the ways we could never expect. And as stunning as it is, and as much as I don't want it to be true, the love of God in Jesus Christ is good news for David and good news for Bathsheba. The generosity and kindness and love of God for David is stronger and better than he could ever imagine. The generosity and kindness and love of God for Bathsheba is stronger and better than she could ever imagine. And the generosity and kindness and love of God for you is stronger and better than you could ever imagine. Let's enter into David's story. I struggle with this, that the generosity and kindness and love of God for David is stronger and better than he could ever imagine because I want David to get what was coming for him. Death, punishment, justice. I can empathize with David's own indignant cry. The man who has done this deserves to die. And God says, someone's going to die. The sin and the violence and the despair of the whole world, yours included, David, your sin, I'm going to one day put it all to death, taking it on myself in Jesus Christ. And yes, there's consequences for sin, and the pathway forward might not be easy, David, but your sins are removed from you. Now the Lord has put away your sin. You will not die. As far as the east is from the west. So to the one burdened by the weight of sin and shame, take heart. Christ died the death you deserved so that you could experience true forgiveness. There's nothing you can do to separate yourself from the love of God. And God has not cast you off but instead draws you near. You're beloved, and as God's redeeming work in the world continues to unfold, you're invited to be a participant in it, as stunning as that is. The generosity and kindness and love of God for David is far better and greater and deeper than he could ever imagine. Listen to this verse that's about to shape our hearts as we enter into Advent in a few weeks. Matthew 1.1, 1, 1. this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You are the man, David, and here's the way forward. I'm going to use your family line to bring forth the Savior of the world. You are the man, so 
enter into this Christ story as a valued participant, not because of your own merit, but because God loves you. You're forgiven. Sin doesn't have the final word, and you're invited to be part of God's unfolding, redeeming work in the world, no matter what you've done. Now let's gather our hearts around Bathsheba and the stories that she represents. Because the generosity and kindness and love of God for Bathsheba are far better and deeper than she could ever imagine. My heart aches for Bathsheba. I want Bathsheba to experience some relief from being objectified. Maybe some dignity, some equity, some space to breathe and be and work through the trauma of it all that no one seems to be noticing or giving weight to. And God says, she's my beloved lamb. I'll welcome her into my arms where she's safe and cherished and fully known for who she is, not simply as someone's object of temptation to take and exploit. I'll feed her at my table. And, and God says, the shame and the hurt and the pain of the whole world, yours included, Bathsheba, I'm going to one day put it to death, taking it on myself in Jesus Christ. And I'm even inviting you, Bathsheba, to participate in my story. Your womb, it will be a life-giving force for the soul of the world, leading to the Christ child himself. Back to our Advent genealogy, Matthew 1.6. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And then, verse 16, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was the Messiah. So to the one who's been used and abused and taken advantage of, take heart to the one who's become collateral damage in someone else's greed, take heart. Christ sees and knows the pain of it all, and Christ has taken it upon himself. You want justice? Christ in his death says, the abuse, the exploitation, the falling victim to the greedy schemes and missteps of those who use their power to take, 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 it stops here with me. Here's justice, the death of God's son on behalf of the vulnerable. If you can relate at all to Bathsheba's story, take heart and hear this. God has not forgotten you. The little lamb of God, Jesus, given freely because that's who God has chosen to be, humble and self-giving, he's given freely for you also that we could be healed and make, made new. Because the generosity and kindness and love of God for you is far deeper and better than you could ever imagine. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.